Welcome to the CFB Paint Podcast. We aren't Photoshop, we're not Illustrator. We're your bare bones essentials college football podcast, giving you the pixelated, crudely edited coverage you need for the preseason, midweek, and off-season doldrums while you wait for the action on Saturdays. You've got Court, Steve, Mark, and Brian, four brothers, college football fans with decades of heartbreak and a few years of ecstasy, here to guide you through your own gridiron roller coaster with all the side drama along the way. Welcome back into CFB Paint. Our rapid round today is going to go in order of shoe size, largest to smallest. Uh, Mark, what were your big takeaways from week zero? Uh, mostly teams did their jobs. Power 5 won basically all the games they were supposed to win. FSU finally looked good against, you know, a team that they should look good against. So that was nice and just devastated for Husker fans everywhere. Ryan. A uh, quick takeaway would be uh, Utah State getting a run for their money in the early going against UConn. Didn't expect that in Logan. Uh, didn't quite cover their third, or 24 point spread at home. Uh, ran away with 11. Um, game wasn't super pretty to watch, but uh, something that UConn fans can be excited about. Potentially, you know, a better year this year than 111. All right, we should be saying shoe sizes with these, just just for the. 11 to 12, depending on the brand. And Bry? Uh, 10 and a half to 11. 10 and a half to 11. Now checking in at a seismic size. What, what are you, Corey? Are you size nine? Yeah, I'm nine. I'm, I think I'm smaller than you, right? No, we, we're, we're the same. But Ty goes to the oldest, so go ahead. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Um, now, my takeaway this week, Vanderbilt going to Hawaii. They were favored by nine, but three to ten. Yikes. Did not see that one coming. Wow. Yeah, uh, that was a surprising one. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our weekend recap. My, uh, my, my, and again, I'm a size nine as well. My key takeaway is, yeah, Jim Mora Jr. got the, uh, the Yukon Huskies fighting and, and playing pretty strong. Uh, probably too early to make the joke about his dad with playoffs, but uh, we're, we're close. Uh, that's got to be encouraging for Husky fans. Well, that's our rapid round. Uh, we're going to do a quick win draft totals update, and I'll kick it over to Mark for the update for the team draft to see who's out in front on a short week zero. Yeah, only Court and I had people playing. Uh, we both came away victorious with uh, Court having Florida State over to Kane and, and Brian just mentioned Utah State for me. Uh, beating Connecticut. So strong start for both of us. Um, you know, if you, you project that out, we're going to win 121 or 120 games each. So feeling pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. I don't know if we've done math on who plays who we should, we should look at that at some point and give, give people some look aheads, but uh, Mark, how are you feeling about the, the Utah state? They looked a little shaky against a UConn team that wasn't expected to do much. Were they over prepping for Bama or, or is this, is this cause for alarm? Yeah, you know, uh, not not great to see. Um, one of the things I just did for fun this week was bring in the FPI win totals uh, for each one of our teams, and they're, they're by far my weakest team. And so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think FPI has them at seven and a half games, um, but I would have certainly would have liked to see a stronger showing. Brian, you know, mentioned they didn't even cover the spread, uh, much less you know uh, beat it. So. Um, not not great. We'll see what the rest of the season brings. By the way, Steve, you have by far the uh, the lowest FPI uh, win total. So we'll see if that plays out. See see how good they are. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that they've made some adjustments to FPI. In the early days, if I was the worst, I'd be like, that means I'm right on track. It means I've got the right team, but we'll have to see. We'll see. Maybe they're a little bit better this year. Just on to our, our quick weekend recap. We'll actually probably touch on every single one of these games just because there were only so many. Um, so your quick recap, Austin P lost to Western Kentucky 27-38. Uh, in the marquee game of week one, and we'll talk about this more, Nebraska falls to Northwestern in Ireland. Uh, I guess the uh, the Irish N on the helmets did a, put them over the top for the Wildcats, but Mark will talk about that a little bit more. UNLV beats, beats Idaho State 52 to 21. UConn and Utah State, like we just mentioned, had a nice, uh, a nice game, an entertaining and fairly competitive game. Uh, in, in Logan, Utah, 31-20, the Aggies take, uh, take the victory. Illinois beats Wyoming 38-6. Brett Bielema has got the fighting Illini moving in the right direction. Duquesne and Florida State, we mentioned that matchup already, 47-7. Um, Florida Atlantic took care of business against Charlotte. The Miners looks like they may be in for another long season. Here is another one that maybe we touch on for just a minute. Florida A&M, there was a lot of buzz about that game with the number of it, players that were ineligible for that. Uh, Florida A&M of Tallahassee, Florida, where we are natives, uh, all native Tallahassee, born and raised sons. Uh, Rattlers did us proud. They, uh, they went up there and they fought really hard against North Carolina, ended up falling 56 to 24, but with the number of players that were out, that's a pretty impressive showing from, from the, the fighting Rattlers. Uh, Nevada ends up beating a, a favored New Mexico State 23-12. North Texas beats UTEP 31-13. And then the nightcap uh, for all of you junkies who are staying up and watching late kick games on Hawaii time, Vanderbilt 63 to 10, like Corey mentioned. The part I wanted to point out there was a 35 point third quarter. Wow. Wow. So that's your quick recap of the games. Now, we have a, another segment that we want to move to here. It's called the game turned when. And this is where there's a critical point in a game, a bad call, a bounce of the ball that maybe goes one team's way and doesn't go the others. We want to just kind of identify those and, and kind of point those out for maybe games that you missed. Now, with this being week zero, I, I'm sure people have, you know, either watched games or they didn't. Um, but Mark has our the game turned when segment when looking back on week zero. Mark, take it away. Yeah, it's obviously the Nebraska Northwestern game and the missed surprise onside kick Nebraska went for in the third quarter. Just kind of a shocking play I'll, I'll set it up set up the background a little bit for the game right so nebraska's coming into this game it's a must-win game a must-win season for the scott frost uh coaching staff he's been on the hot seat for a couple years now and it's uh, you know it, it really feels like it's at a minimum bowl game or, or bust and you know that might not even be good enough um so they need to, to win this game against northwestern and they were favored by 11 points so they were expecting to do it i thought this game was an, an, an a rare combo of both an interesting back and forth game and also a game where neither team really felt like they wanted to win. And generally you don't get both of those things in the same game. Uh, but this one really came through and, and delivered. And so Nebraska came out like you might hope that they would in a, a must win team. They can, you know, come out 75 yard touchdown drive right off the bat. Casey Thompson went pretty sharp um, opening up and, and really through most of the first half and Nebraska 
generally won the first quarter. Um, and plus they scored early, you know, early in the second quarter to go up 14-3. They, they built an early double-digit lead. <clears throat> then they kind of lose momentum throughout the, the second quarter, last nine minutes. Northwestern answers their touchdown with a touchdown. Northwestern gets a stop, a fumble uh, in the red zone. They get it back. They get the ball back on their own 11-yard line and stop a Nebraska score. They score again and then make Nebraska miss a field goal, uh, a long field goal at the end of the half. So Northwestern actually goes into the half seven, up 17-14, and Nebraska's left 10 points on the board. They come out of the second half. Nebraska's firing again, just like they came into the first half. Uh, they get a quick stop against Northwestern. Casey Thompson leads an 88-yard touchdown drive. The very next play, uh, Northwestern's first or play of the possession, they rip off a 21-yard run that they end up fumbling away. Nebraska gets the ball back later. Two plays later, Anthony Grant takes it 46 yards for the touchdown. Shout out to the former Florida State Seminole there. Uh, went up over 100 yards for the day. Good for him. And Nebraska feels like they're in control of this game now. They're they're back up 11. They played six game point or six minutes in the second half. Northwestern feels like they fell asleep at half. Um, the offense, which was unbelievable initially, you know, found no traction in the first drive and then fumbled the ball away on the second drive. Um, and again, you've got Nebraska up 11, and they left 10 points on the board in the first half. And so, shame on me. Admittedly, I probably haven't watched enough in Nebraska games, but I do know their record enough that I I should have uh, expected more. I'm putting on my shoes at this point going to the grocery store and I'm going to follow the rest of this game on my phone. And before I can get out of the door, Nebraska goes to kick off the, you know, goes to kick off. They like what they see on the right side of the kick return team. There's only three guys over there. They're, they're Northwestern shaded to the left side and the kicker hits an onside kick that he one hops to a running back for Nebraska. They lay on it. And all of a sudden the wind goes out of the game and you can just feel it. Everybody's kind of scratching their head. Like, what was that? You know, what, what was that play? Like, why are we giving uh, Ryan Holinsky, who was amazing in the first half, a short field? They haven't been able to generate a whole lot of offense yet. Nebraska takes it, or Northwestern takes advantage. Six plays later, they score. Um, they kind of trade three and outs for a little bit, uh, but Nebraska's really not generating anything that's, that feel, you know, North, Northwestern feels like they still have the momentum. They eventually score early in the fourth quarter again to go up 31-28, which is the final score. And Nebraska really doesn't generate anything. And so the game turn when that kick was missed, Nebraska to that or after that point has the ball six times. They have 85 total yards and throw two picks. I mean, the offense does nothing from that point. They'd scored 28 points through what is that? 34, 36 minutes over the next 24 minutes. They don't score again. Uh, they really can't generate anything. It's easy to play coach the day after a game, but it was just a recklessly aggressive call to me. Uh, it delayed my shopping trip for an hour and a half because I had to stay and watch, you know, to see how this game was going to finish out. And uh, basically, I think doused any remaining embers for Nebraska fans over the uh, in the Scott Frost era. Um, you know, I guess time will tell if that's true. But the game all turned when they missed that onside kick. Steve, I know you've got at least some thoughts on this. So love to hear that as well as a uh, court. Brian, if you guys have, have any thoughts on the game as well. I just wanted to tell the story of how it went down where where Court and I were watching. Um, so we we watched the game together. Uh, we watched a fair amount of football together that, that Saturday. And uh, I looked down at my phone because I thought we were going to commercial. Um, they didn't. And they end up kicking the, the onside kick while I'm looking down at my phone. And Corey goes, oh, my gosh, they onside kicked and they didn't get it. Uh, or, or something to that nature. I can't remember the exact words, but we looked at each other and knowing we had this 
this segment planned for every week in season. Corey says, the game turned when? <laughs> like, it just felt like in that moment, just like you said, the, the air went out of the stadium for all the Nebraska fans, which, by the way, showed out like crazy. We should share this on our Twitter and Instagram, some of the, the pictures of the pep rallies. Uh, my hat's off to the Nebraska fans for showing up for that game. Uh, but it just felt like here we go again. And it was just so obvious, even in the moment, like you said, it's it's easy to play armchair quarterback and, and do that, that the day after. In the moment, I thought that was idiotic. No, I, I completely agree. I'm like, I, that is exactly my thought when Mark said it's easy to play coach later on. It was like, you had momentum. Uncle Mo was definitely on your side. Kick it off. Make him drive the field again. They, had, they hadn't shown that they could do it in that half. And they kind of started to wane a little bit towards the end of the second half or second quarter. So, yeah, you knew that was going to take the air. It was just a matter of can Nebraska maybe in yet another close game try and finally get a win and nope didn't happen not gonna happen again um yeah not a good look for scott frost man <laughs> if you want to save a job you don't do stuff like that yeah i uh i went back and looked at the previous kickoffs in the game because i wondered like okay is there something they're seeing or is the front line of this you know return crew turning tail early and they're seeing oh we're gonna catch them sleeping no they did not on any of the previous kicks and so for me it was just the crazy like I, I guess that was still the look they were looking for. There's got to be a way to check out of that situation. Um, but just one that's really hard to talk about afterwards. You know, like you, you thought you were coming up with something clever. And then when it fails in that way, very, very tough uh, to kind of explain, you know, like why this risk was worth it to you. Um, because obviously it's a lot, like, like we said, it's a lot easier on the back end, um, but a real significant risk and one that you know ends up turning the game as a whole um but i think altogether just uh i don't know just just an out of the blue thing that i don't know that was necessary to beat north northwestern um i think that's the sort of thing that you pull maybe if you're trying to get a knockout blow on a an opponent that is much higher ranked than you or, or higher rated um so it, it was interesting to me also to see the competition you know i wouldn't be shocked to see you know if duquesne had tried that against florida state when they got uh, on the board, um, obviously it was a little late in that game, but for two teams of equal caliber or relatively very, very curious decision. Yeah, Steve, it's funny that you mentioned Corey saying the game turn win. So watching this game, I was kind of just taking notes on my phone and, and I'd already started to write a little bit about how the game turn, turned at half, how Northwestern had taken a bunch of momentum going into half and then came out sleepwalking in the half and Nebraska just found a way to to throw away everything that they had coming out of the, or coming for them out of half, and what what a disappointment! I was bewildered, not just with that call. Um, both, like you mentioned, Mark, it didn't seem like either team really wanted to win. Um, and what I mean by that is, there are several times where Northwestern was driving and either in the red zone or rapidly approaching the red zone within, you know, field goal range for certain that they had third and longs. They did not throw the ball. They just ran it. They decided they essentially gave up. They're like, okay, we're okay with three points here. And I think that happened two, maybe even three times. And it was super surprising. I, I remember Corey and I having that conversation in the moment saying like, we're not, we're not sure what, uh, what coach Fitzgerald's thinking like why why is he playing so conservative and 
sure enough, he, he knew that Scott Frost would hand him the game, but I, that's that's got to be a little concerning for Northwestern fans moving forward that he wasn't near as aggressive as he probably ought to have been. But all, all the same, uh, I guess all as well as that all as well that ends well with uh, with their trip to Ireland. Yeah, I'd say one last thing. It's, it starts to beg the question: How many million is two months worth? Um, very interesting to see uh, how patient we can be. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't expect Scott Frost to get the, you know, get the boot and before that uh, buyout drops down to 7.5 million. But if he gives you good reasons like this, you, you might just be tempted. On that same note, Brian, we saw the last year that teams fired coaches early, but didn't pick up coaches early. And so it makes, to me, it doesn't make sense to fire him early if they're going to fire him. Um, like it was a USC fired Sky or fired Hel- Todd Helton two weeks two game weeks in, but then they didn't end up finding a coach until the after the season. So I've been thinking that same thing, but there's no way they don't fire him until after the October deadline. Did anyone have him in our picks for uh, for first coach to be fired? I know I was on Herm Edwards. I don't have that file right in front of me. I, I talked about him. Um, I didn't pick, ended up picking him. He was one of the people I was considering. I, I think I have, um, uh, wow, Jeff from Georgia Tech. What's his last name? Jeff Collins. Collins. Yeah. I had Scott well, I Frost be... as my, sorry. Oh, you did? I had Scott Frost as my number two after Herm Edwards. And I, I was like, uh, this one, I don't think it's going to happen. They're going to go bowling. Like, they're not going to have an amazing year, but by ne- recent Nebraska standards, they're going to do pretty well. And this puts a, a lot of water on that flame. Yeah, if someone had that ticket, you got to be feeling pretty good right now. But alas, well, let's let's transition here. Let's let's talk about the week that is to come. Uh, we really wanted to just cover what are a couple of games that are on your radar, things that you're looking forward to. Um, I, I have most of this most of this weekend just blocked out. Uh, uh, thankfully, uh, the communication between me and my wife is is pretty open and clear, and I've I've made it clear that the. Labor Day weekend is is a weekend to absorb as much college football as my schedule permits. Um, and so we're working to make that happen. Um, but maybe we'll go again in order of shoe size there. What are some games that you're looking forward to? Uh, and maybe we'll take time to discuss those at, uh, as as we go through them. So Mark. Yeah, no, my, my schedule is wide open this weekend too for the exact opposite reason. I make sure my wife and I talk as little as possible. And then so she knows I'm busy, you know, doing things. Um, but now the, the three, uh, I kind of have three, I, I, there's actually a whole list of them, but I'll keep them to the three that I'm most interested in watching. Number one, I'm, for whatever reason, just super intrigued to watch Notre Dame and Ohio State. I said that on the first podcast uh, as my as my top non-conference game in September. I think it's got a lot of interesting storylines with Mark Streeman coming back. Um, Ohio State favored by 17 and a half uh, points. You know, just expected to, to roll them. Um, I am one of those people who just feels like Notre Dame rolls over in all their big games. Uh, and so I, I went to go look at that this week to see if that's fair. Uh, it is true. They lose almost all their top 10 games. Um, it is also true that they are almost never the higher ranked team. And so, you know, got to give them some credit, but they don't ever overperform. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but I'm just, yeah, really, really interested. Get your first look at CJ Stroud, uh, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba. Um, so lots of talent on the field and, uh, 
that'll be entertaining. Looking forward to that. Uh, next, I'll look forward to Utah and Florida, two bitter rivals that I, I hate playing each other. Um, but I do have Utah on my, uh, my, my team. Um, so we'll be rooting for them. I also hate Florida uh, more than I hate Utah. But cross-country trip, I think those are always intriguing when you go west coast, east coast. Utah's got to travel over 2,200 miles. Um, it's the, you know, a, a nice test for the Pac-12, who's often overlooked. Uh, I don't actually feel like it does that much for them on to win the game, but it does a lot to hurt the the view of the Pac-12 if they lose the game. I mean, if they win, they beat a a team in Florida that's not really expecting to compete in the SEC. Uh, and if they lose the game, they lose to a you know a team that's not expected to compete much in the SEC. So I think there's a lot to lose. I think there's an interesting storyline um, between the longest you know of Kyle Whittingham, a, a super tenured coach. And versus a new staff in Florida. So those are some of the, the interesting things um, I'm looking forward to that game. Anybody else got thoughts on that game? I just wanted to say, like, Utah's only, according to DraftKings, is only favored by three points in that game, which surprises me a little bit, to be honest. So maybe they're putting a lot of stock in what Florida can do in the swamp. Maybe they Florida's a little bit unknown in the fact that they have a new coach and what can he do with the talent that's there. Um and then also the traveling, but that's, that seemed like a low line to me for number seven versus an unranked team. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. And then, then a lot of tout on Anthony Richardson. Let's see what he's, you know, let's see what he looks like. Uh, he's had fairly limited playing time up to this point. So it'll be an interesting game. Uh, I think the last one, it's just in my backyard, a top 25 matchup, Arkansas versus Cincinnati. Um, lots of my friends are, will be highly interested in that game. Uh, we'll see how the Bearcats reload after I think Steven made an interesting point a, a couple weeks ago where it's like, you know, Georgia can lose 15 or nine guys or whatever to the draft and they'll be all right. Can Cincinnati do the same thing? Uh, you know, can Sam Pittman keep Arkansas on the trajectory, you know, in, in year three, um, you know, in, improving every year. It'll be Kendall Bryles, you know, second year in place. Uh, I'm a big KJ Jefferson fan, though not really a Razorback fan. I, I do like KJ Jefferson. Uh, so exciting to see how, how he'll do, um, and how does, you know, Hazelwood, uh, replace Burks, uh, if, if at all. Um, so I think a lot of interesting, uh, pieces there and just kind of a, a nice, uh, hometown test. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be good. Yeah. The, the three games I'm looking forward to this weekend are all, uh, all involve SEC teams. So one you touched on earlier with, with Utah and Florida and, uh, the biggest reason I'm intrigued by this one is, and Court mentioned it, the relative unknown that is Florida. Um, it's really, you can really see their, their record and uh, season going two different directions, depending on how well the, the new players adapt, how well Billy Napier is able to get people into a system and, and get things rolling. Um, but it's not an easy way through and it's not going to be an easy start, but they do get a start in the swamp, which is uh, one of your better environments in college football. So intrigued to see that one. Uh, another one I'm excited to see is Oregon versus Georgia. Um, this is Dan Landing facing Kirby Smart. Um, Landing's first time, um, you know, with, or first season with the Ducks. And Kenny Dillingham, who is, as we know at Florida State, was an OC here. He's been an OC at, um, at Auburn. He might have just been a, a quarterback's coach at Auburn. Um, but this is his first time really getting uh, the reins handed over to him, not being underneath an offensive head coach. Um, so we'll see what, what he can do there. What I'm really intrigued to see between these two, because I, I fully expect a Bulldog win, um, but what is the distance between the, the have and have-nots uh, in 
college football right now. Because in my estimation, this Oregon, I think, is currently ranked number 11 preseason ranked. Um, I think that's, you know, approximately right. I'd say they're a top 15 team. Um, but Georgia is a top three team. I mean, I would, I'm really interested to see what is the difference between a top three team and a top 15 team in the country at this point. Um, another opportunity for the Pac-12 to perhaps, you know, establish some leg legitimacy for whoever comes out of that conference um, when it comes playoff time to, to have a say to the committee. And the last one, uh, obviously, I'm excited for Florida State versus LSU. Two programs that I could really have I think either way, whichever team wins will overreact a little bit. Um, if Florida State wins, we'll think this is going to be an eight or nine win season. You know, we finally got it all figured out. Norvell was the right guy all along. Um, all of our transfers were good. Jordan Travis is going to make it to the NFL. You know, obviously, you're not going to believe everything I was said right there. But I think there will be quite a bit of a reaction from uh, Florida State fans. I think you could see the same thing on uh, if the favorite, who's LSU in this game, wins. Um you know, it's a $95 million 10-year investment in Brian Kelly. Uh, that is a big, big outlay to bring into your program. Um, he's had sustained, uh, sustained success um, both at Cincinnati and at Notre Dame previously, so not a terrible person to bet on. Um, but he's not bringing over, you know, coordinators and coaches for the most part that he's worked with before. This is uh, relatively shifting things. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly they can – get going they don't have the benefit of the week zero game like fsu does but yeah i think i think whoever wins this one their fan base will be overreacting and uh you know we'll have to temper expectations for for whichever fan base that is uh but either way these are crucial points for both programs so it'll be interesting to see what steps um and strides both programs have been making forward yeah. um so i'm interested in the backyard brawl uh west virginia versus Pitt to see what how that one goes um honestly you got bad blood from the old Big East. Uh, I'm interested to see how where that kind of comes from with the fans, at least, and probably not the players as much, right? Because they've been in the ACC and, and the Big 12 for a while, little while. Um, but I also am interested to see how Pitt's offense fares with the new uh, offensive coordinator and and Kevin Dinslovis and no longer having some of the the weapons that they have. So I'm interested to see if Pittsburgh can be a a rival in the coastal to Miami. Um, and North Carolina. Speaking of North Carolina, that's my second game that I'm kind of interested in, North Carolina versus App State. That's a one-and-a-half-point favorite North Carolina is over App State, which is kind of crazy to me to think that um, that they would be only that much of a favorite. Um, they struggled a little bit with uh, the offense of, of BAMU this last week, um, but Drake May threw five touchdowns as a, true, as a freshman um, and looks pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see if that – that game is that close or not if it is that then steve's got that app state team go, rolling i think that's who you picked right steve if it's yeah, not they're, they're on my team let's go mountaineers. Your team? Mm -hmm. yeah so then we'll see how it goes brian do you have some comments on that uh game yeah i, I would just say also um you mentioned uh, May at quarterback. Also, Josh Downs at wide receiver is looking like a guy like, why didn't he transfer to a place where he could really get a lot more notoriety? Um, he looked, I mean, obviously it was FAMU week one with 26 players ineligible. Um, but he's, I mean, he had a fantastic season last year and it looked unbelievable. So uh, another one who's, you know, on the, on the side of the ball where they were, you know, being successful, he's really yeah. um, looking to have a big season and, and looked really good in week zero. To me, it just it looks like it's going to be a North Carolina team just going to try and outscore teams, maybe 
before they figure out their defense. But so lastly, um, my last game is is that I want to see and I'm excited to watch is Penn State Purdue. Um, I hate conference games at the beginning of the year. For me, you lose that game, you you have you have don't have the time to figure out who you are. Not only is that game important to your overall record because you only get 12 games or so, but it's so important to your conference record because if if you lose that game, okay, but you win your conference, you got a chance to go do something. Um, so I hate conference games at the beginning of the year. I'm interested to see how this one plays out. We've talked about how there's a kind of a top tier of the Big Ten. Um, we believe that kind of this is these are the second tier of the Big Ten. Um, so who who's gonna be those that, that those next teams up behind? You know, Ohio State, Michigan, except uh, Wisconsin, etc. And do either one of these teams make a run at, at the conference title? Steve, you got some comments? I, I just I, I disagree with the uh, the conference games at the beginning of the year. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's the same take, but like I don't like when my teams play in conference games during at the start of a season. But I love it when there's extra stakes on other games that maybe um, outside of that I, I may not have uh, as much interest in but it, it really just adds a little bit of extra juice that was really just all I wanted to say is like I, it's one of those ones I'm excited to watch just because it's like all right someone's going to quickly start they, there's already some questions that are going to be answered in the Big Ten West because uh because the you know you'll well, I guess the Big Ten in, in general but in my in my estimation we'll learn more about Purdue than we do about Penn State in this game yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. I think it's – I was saying, like, I would hate to play a conference game. As a fan, that's why I'm excited to watch this one. Yeah, completely exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, so we covered a lot of ground here. My three, like, I really could choose uh, – I mean, it's it's a pretty solid opening week, which I remember there have been week ones in the past that have been somewhat lackluster. So I, I'm excited for this one. Maybe most of the marquee matchups seem to be, at least according to Vegas – are, are going to be potentially fairly lopsided. So uh, hopefully there's some more competitive games than, than, you know, than maybe Vegas is anticipating. I was going to ask, is no one backyard brawling with me? I am really excited to see that game. Uh, Pittsburgh is maybe, I, I would like to see it more if it was in Morgantown, West Virginia, just that's an environment that, that they, they, they know how to do college football. Um, Pittsburgh being in a, in a professional stadium, maybe not necessarily the, the, the best venue and the best atmosphere. Um, but uh, Keaton Slovis, I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter, but there was like a pep rally or something. And he said, oh, and one more thing, F West Virginia. So uh, uh, I like to see the transfers starting to get in on the, uh, in on the rivalry, even if they may not be as familiar with it you know, from the West Coast. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Pitt's leaning into it. Uh, so that, that one's one I'm excited to see. Uh, I'm excited to see where West Virginia is at um, with uh, with uh, their coach, Coach Brown, Neil Brown. They seem like they lost a lot uh, to to the transfer portal this last year. Uh, it seemed like they had started to turn a corner last year, but we'll see. We'll see what's up there. I know that uh, Neil Brown did a lot of really special things at Troy. Um, and so the question is, is he going to survive long enough if, at West Virginia to potentially do something special and, and make some noise in the Big 12, especially now that uh, Oklahoma's moving on to greener, greener pastures. I feel like that conference is kind of up for grabs. And so I think it's a it's an important year for, for Neil Brown and for West Virginia. Um, so that would be my first one. My second one, even though it's already been said, like that Florida-Utah game to me is just interesting. I like when you see those kind of non-traditional 
matchups that, that take place during the non-conference part portion of the season. Um, UCLA and LSU delivered for me last year. And so I'm hoping that the next SEC Pac-12 matchup will do the same. Uh, really interested to see what both of these teams look like. Um, I, I think uh, when I hear people break down this game, there's a lot of assumptions being made on the Utah side that they'll have strong lines of scrimmage. I tend to agree with that, but it, you know, it's, it is something that they have to prove it. Um, they got beat at the line of scrimmage twice last year in the early goings. They got whooped by BYU on the lines of scrimmage and they got whooped by San Diego State. Um, now, part of that was because they were probably starting the wrong quarterback in Connor Brewer, who just now is starting at Liberty. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think that to me is like, maybe Utah is getting a lot of love from the people that vote for the AP poll and the coaches poll but the people that actually have to handicap games see them as not quite as talented as uh, as, as maybe the, the, the common man would. So uh, that one I'm really interested to see. Uh, love that it's a night game. Love that it's on campus. Can I just say that? I, I really love seeing the, the, the campus environments and, and what can happen. Neutral site games, it's fine. It's, it's, it's whatever. Um, but that one's one that to me is like, it's a really fun one uh, and, and be exciting to see the return trip when, when they play in Salt Lake City as well. Uh, my final one, I, I really could go a, a bunch of different ways with this one. I thought one that maybe uh, is kind of under the radar, but to me will probably be a sneaky good game. Now, I'll probably watch a replay. If we're being honest, I'll probably watch it. Uh, I'll like DVR it and watch it later, but Houston at UTSA is like that's a that's a sneaky good game uh you got houston who is being mostly pumped as the as the, sort of the group of five team that has the most you know is the one that's most likely to to garner a new year's six bid um you know there's there's some things that could potentially happen for uh for for houston if they have a strong season but utsa is game uh, and Jeff Trailer is is a coach that recruits really well, uh, recruits and punches above his weight class in terms of, uh, of, you know, kind of the perception of the UTSA program from outsiders. They bring in more talent than they really, than, than someone outside would, would probably expect them to. The one thing that's, that's interesting is like, if this was just the marquee UTSA matchup, that'd be one thing, but you have to remember that UTSA plays Texas um, in, let's see, hang on, let me pull this up. Sorry, UTSA plays, oh, so they home against Houston at Army and then at Texas. And so there is, excuse me, I'll back that up. There's a week in between those two games. So it's not no look ahead here, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see like the Roadrunners, if they had had this schedule with last year's team would have been really fascinating to see how much damage they could do. But let's see if the uh, if the sophomore effort from the, uh, the new look Roadrunners with uh, just a, a lot of, talent returning, but also some some uh, big departures, Sincere McCormick being, I think, the, the biggest of those departures, the running back that's now in the league. I, I'm excited to see that game. Again, probably won't watch it live because there's a couple other games on that, uh, in that 130 time slot that maybe will have my attention a little bit more, that Oregon-Georgia game maybe being the one. But if that one starts to be boring, that's probably where my, probably where my remote will go. Yeah, the line on that is four points. So it'll be interesting how close it is. And it's in the dome. Have you guys seen the like the where they play? 
it's 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 close quarters it's a small little stadium but that thing i think gets pretty loud i'd love to see like the decibel meter that you see sometimes at, at the, the larger venues where people will kind of indicate exactly how loud it is just because it's a contained environment something similar to i'm not comparing the two atmospheres but like similar to like cameron indoor with duke basketball since it's a small environment and, and maybe it doesn't have the same you know tens of thousands of of fans but but just the the acoustics, I think, of the building and the way that the, the, the building is structured, it gets really loud. So I'd, I'd be interested to see what that's like, because I, I remember it getting pretty crazy on a couple of uh, Roadrunner games last year in, in, in San Antonio. And now what we're going to do here, if you'll humor us, our, our, our audience, like we've mentioned, we're Florida State fans. We're going to take five minutes and talk about the game. Obviously, a huge game for the for the Seminoles in New Orleans a de facto road game, uh, not technically in, in Death Valley, uh, which is kind of, in my opinion, a little bit of a shame because I love that eye of the tiger that they have on their field. Um, but also, and glad to know that there's probably about 30,000 Florida State fans, so more of a bowl game environment than maybe a true road game. Nonetheless, really nervous for this game for me specifically. We'll, we'll go around the horn and talk what everyone thinks. I am concerned about the offensive line. I'm concerned about us being able to cover their receivers. I, I, I just get that Luke Skywalker feeling like this is not gonna go the way you think. And I just, I don't, I got, I got LSU and, and give me LSU by 10. I hate to say it. Speaking along those lines, Steve, it's not going to go the way you think. I honestly think LSU has the advantage on this as far as talent, Brian Kelly um, and Norvell, but playing each other again, they did it last year when he was at Notre Dame. They did it a couple of years back as well when he was, when Norvell was at Memphis. I think Brian Kelly's got Norvell's number a little bit, but I'm going to say Florida State pulls it out. They play in for a different, different, uh, just different, desires than they have in the last little while they're playing for each other they, they believe in themselves they caught fire kind of towards the last of the last season the last end of last season and i think florida state wins it by on a last second field goal by by ryan fitzgerald and i don't think he's that good or is it ryan fitzgerald yeah yeah okay i don't think he's that good of a kicker but i think we win it on a last second field goal that's what i'm calling right now so i'll take florida state by a touchdown 34 to 27 really I'm going to go down. I'm a huge Jordan Travis fan. I think when he's healthy, we're a pretty good football team. And when he's not healthy, which is a lot, we lose a lot of football games. Um, uh, I think we've got the better quarterback in the, in the game. Um, I think he's a, he's a better passer than a lot of people realize. And he helps solve some of the problems with the, we can't block anybody. He's pretty strong and he's pretty fast. Um, so I'll put my, put my, uh, my cards on, on the table there and, and, lean on Jordan Travis to take us home. Real quick, one of my thought processes about that, though, that I'm worried about with Jordan Travis is Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman yes, last year had a great game plan for him and took him out of the game. And the only reason Florida State was in that game is because they turned to Mackenzie Milton. Um, and that's something I'm worried about that they lean on again next year or this year. He doesn't have Marcus Freeman, but he can go back to the tape and remember what the game plan was and say, all right, this is how we handled him. Might want to handle it the same this year. I think that's fair. I think Travis is, is getting better. I think he also has better weapons around him this year than he had last year. And so um, we'll see. But but certainly, yeah, certainly a good point. Mackenzie Milton, you know, tried to play hero in that game. Your score, Mark, was 34 to 27? Yeah. 
Okay. You're, you're significantly over the total. Just, just throwing that out there. That's fine. I'm expecting, expecting a lot of points here. <laughs> well, what's the, what's the over under on the, total points? The, the total is right now at 51 and a half. 51 and a half. Yeah. So I end up at 60. This is an extra touchdown. Just seems, seems like a lot. Anyway, Brian, you, you have some thoughts on the game. Yeah. I'd say our prediction is LSU by six. Um, I think this wouldn't be as close, um, except that Florida State in the past two years has done a decent job of running the ball without an offensive line. Um, and the offensive line this year should be better than last year. We'll see, though, because already week zero has given us injuries to, you know, overcome and and things to uh, worry about and sweat over not blocking as well as we thought we ought to have against Duquesne. Um, but in terms of the backfield, this is the most talented backfield that Mike Norvell has had since he's been at Florida State. Um, you've got Treshawn Ward um, and Trey Benson and Lawrence Toffili, who, I mean, it was just Duquesne, but looks off to a good start as well. So perhaps a three-headed monster. I, I, I Throughout the offseason, I've expected it to be two. It would be Benson and uh, Ward getting most of the touches. Um, it also helps that the offense had a propensity last year for occasional big plays from its running backs. Jay Sean Corbin had uh, I want to say an 80-yard touchdown against Notre Dame, something around there, um, and a few other ones that he broke off long. And Benson is one who has the speed to to take those home when he, you know, the hole's there and he's able to get past. Um, I think Treshawn Moore gets run down, so those explosive plays aren't quite as, um, I guess they don't light up the scoreboard immediately. Uh, but Florida State's ability to run um, helps uh, run helps significantly with the offensive line, where they're able to not absorb pressure but to impose. Um, that's going to be really the the only way they're able to move i just think when it comes down to it you have anything that's third and eight or longer and you're not gonna be able to convert i think they can't pass protect this lsu team um and then on the flip side the big problem is you've got a first round wide receiver going up against you and your number one cornerback is still out at least as far as the projections are um you know you might be able to keep him from going 30 yards down the field with safety play but you're not going to be able to stop him from going 12 um and i think he'll eat as much as well as much as you know Jaden Daniels can get him the ball I'm not a huge Jaden Daniels fan I think he's a limiting factor there but that talented of a playmaker at wide receiver um uh it's going to be too much to overcome I think so LSU by six um hopefully I'm surprised and I'm wrong about that um now it's time for parting shots uh who's got something that they want to just parting shots something to uh wish the the fans and and potentially any players or or, or teammates uh either good luck or i'm rooting for you or maybe throw a little shade at someone that you're you're hoping stumbles out of the gates in week one i'll I'll throw some shade it's not i'm hoping somebody stumbles out of the gates it's michigan and and mostly jim harbaugh if you want to name the sophomore just name the sophomore as the quarterback uh jj mccarthy's got to be watching that vandy game and going oh my gosh i have the job because he gets Hawaii in not week one, but week two as the starter. Okay, I guess for context, those you don't know, they named, we're going to start last season's quarterback for week one, and then our new quarterback for week two. Um, and to that, to me, says, oh, well, we're just going to keep the ball with a hot hand. That's how it goes. So if he wins that game and he looks convincing and the offense is rolling, they're not going to take the ball out of McCarthy's hand. They're just going to start in the next game. So I think there's a huge advantage to being the second person in there. And then number two, he's playing Hawaii. Hawaii 
gives away points. We just watched it. It is such a gift, but it's such a weak move from Harbaugh in Michigan. Just name him. It's okay that the guy started last year. He got beat in the offseason. That happens. But, uh, yeah, just to me, to me, a real weak move. Um, you know, could have given Cade McNamara time to transfer, but you can lock him in, I guess, and have J.J. McCarthy then take over the job so you have a, a suitable backup in McNamara. That, that's all I have to say on that one. I'm going to pile on. This is not the first time that uh, Harbaugh, uh, Jim Harbaugh specifically, has really bungled a QB controversy. I'm going to throw it back to his days in San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing nods now around the around the horn where he said, oh, yeah, well, uh, Colin's going to start for us. Colin Kaepernick, that is. He's going to start for us. And Alex Smith's going to start for us. <laughs> Just like, what on earth are you talking about? Um, go rewatch that that press conference that is one of the most like awkward like his eyes are glossed over he's talking to the wall like he's not talking and answering a reporter's question he's just like i think this is what we're gonna go with i've never seen a coach be so like deer in the headlights because we're talking about a guy who played in nfl games as a quarterback who has led teams I, i guess at that point he hadn't quite led them to a super bowl but like He's an extremely accomplished coach, but he still has just this really strange way of doing things that I just think, man, it's weird. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, just not sure what's going on there. Maybe it was just games to keep uh, keep Cade McNamara on the roster and, and have a really, really uh, suitable backup. Yeah, that's strange. I would love to see Cade McNamara throw for like 10 touchdowns this week against Colorado State and really make things difficult for Harbaugh. Hey, have any of you guys noticed that uh, Nebraska North Dakota doesn't have a line out that I can't find? Yeah, I have. I was looking at it for my my games for the week, and I'm like, I really hope this isn't really a game to watch for this week. But who knows? You know, it's <laughs> so keep you on your toes over there. <laughs> I can't find one on ESPN. I couldn't find it on uh, DraftKings. I'm sure there's other places to go find the line, but I was just like, hmm. there's no no gimmies out there. <laughs> <laughs> And how many fans show up to that game after they all traveled to Ireland and spent all their money? They're not going to show up and watch themselves lose in North Carolina. They're, they're all still in Ireland drinking their cares away. That was the one good thing about oh, playing in Ireland. There's plenty of spirits to to take the edge off for the Nebraska fans. Although they do show up, like no matter how bad they suck, they show up all the time. Uh, they have I can't remember how many consecutive sellouts. So um, are you again, sure those aren't new drivers that showed up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although they do have this sort of dynamic where the more ridiculous the fault of the Nebraska team is, the more I want to watch them. Uh, so TV ratings should still be just okay as long as they keep making headlines the way they do. There you go. The, the, no publicity is bad publicity, right? <laughs> exactly. That, that's the Scott Ross strategy. <laughs> That'll do it for another episode of CFB Paint. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to follow us on our social channels so that you can stay in tune with us during game days and in between pods. We're on Instagram at CFB Paint, on Twitter at underscore CFB Paint. Uh, Feel free to connect with us there and engage with us. And if you have funny quips about games, we'll be sure to include them in uh, subsequent episodes, particularly as the season rolls on. Thank you so much. Please consider subscribing. And uh, we'll see you next week. We also are BYU grads. um, And our cousin, Lopini Katoa, plays for BYU. 
um, running back. Um, he's been a captain for what now, four years now <laughs> uh, on the team. But uh, there was a cool, really cool special that was just done on him and his family. Um, if you got a chance to go look it up on it, it's uh, look up Deep Blue on YouTube, Lopini Katoa. Um, it's a cool little thing about his family. We're glad his, uh, his mom and our aunt is is doing great. But it's a cool little tribute to what Lopini's brought to, to BYU. Yeah, shout out to Lopini. Good, good call out, Corey. Uh, wish him the best this season. Looking forward to them taking on South Florida. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.